0: I Me, mean, sound good. I okay, great.
1: I went back and I got a the mic cord from the other mic.
0: So I was hoping ah, that would make you. a difference.
1: We'll see. We'll see how it goes.
0: Very smart.
1: Man, I wish we I wish we could have recorded this right after we left the game.
0: Cuz Dave would have been apoplectic.
1: Man, he was so heated.
0: I can't imagine what he said that I didn't even get to hear. Well, the good news is is we have no shortage of things to discuss this evening.
1: You going to do the fight song tonight? <laughs>
0: No, I'm just going to leave that. uh, I'm going to leave that out. Welcome everyone to the CavsCorner.com podcast, CavsCorner.com, your source of Virginia sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com, coming to you live from the place of Franklin states in the West End of Virginia. where it is Wednesday, September the 13th. Cavaliers coming off of a, I mean, you could say disappointing, you could say devastating, there are all kinds of words uh, to describe the 36-35 loss to James Madison on Saturday afternoon. One hour, 10-ish minute rain delay, um, or I guess weather delay as the case may be. Certainly flipped the game and we'll no doubt be discussing that as well as getting you ready for Friday Night's Tilt in College Park. Um, somebody asked me the other day if I was going, I was like, ha no, I am not. I'm going to do everything I can not to have to ever go back to College Park. All right, before we get started, let's go around and introduce everybody. First in Fishersville, board moderator jour himself, David Spence is on the show. How's it going, my friend?
2: Hey, unlike uh, most Virginia fans after the weather delay, I'm happy to be here. Who Dave's on the board at Who Dave's on Twitter.
0: I mean, they were happy to be in their cars or at home or, you know, whatever. In Charlottesville, Editor-in-Chief Justin Ferber is also on this year' program. How's it going, my dude? Pretty
1: good. Uh, I think you just mean we're here, period. Um, <laughs> yeah, to be here um, at Justin <laughs> underscore Ferber on Twitter.
0: Cavs Corner also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner, great place for the in-game updates, the content items, and the occasional we banter. Don't you love how we haven't changed that little sh- like stick to like X? We only call it Twitter. I love. I, I I refuse to to change it up, and I'm only mentioning it now because I think it's funny. All right. So again, thirty six thirty five. I mean, what a tale of like whoa for the who's. I mean, to be in a position they were in before the weather delay, and then for. You know, a pair of 80-yard, eight-play drives for touchdowns. Um, the last of which came with, um, I don't know, uh, what was it, like 55 seconds left. Um, just a brutal uh, way to lose a game. And Virginia fans, look, anybody who's been paying any attention for any number of years understands that Virginia knows all the different fun ways to lose the game. 395 yards each in total yardage. Um I think they both ran um, – I've there was another number that was like – oh, it was time of possession was like ridiculously close um, in the uh, in the stat book they handed us in postgame. Um, it was about as close as it can get, except for one team clearly had all the momentum at the end. Um, and it reminded me a lot of that, that Duke-UVA basketball game after the no-call, call, whatever, on Filipowski where UVA just came out in the overtime and it just was no doubt – that on that night they were the better team, right? I mean, look, credit to JMU for coming out after that break and just absolutely taking it to him. Um and there's no there's no way around that. Um we're gonna do what we always do. Um <laughs> Despite Ferber saying that he wasn't going to do that, depending on how the game goes, we're we're gonna we're gonna start with good, bad, and the ugly. And I, the good has to be. This is the second time we've done this. Okay, but this is what this is our thing. <laughs> we're doing this all season long, and this is just we're gonna do it. We're gonna do it's it. Like it's when they're be... like
1: the the first annual. <laughs> no,
0: I didn't call it the first annual. I'm just saying this is what we do. I, this is this is a part of the script. Okay, we're starting with good and bad, the ugly. It'll get through us. It'll get us through a lot of a uh, a lot of stuff. All right, the good obviously has to be Anthony Calandria, right? Um Comes out, second career game, first career start, and just absolutely balled out. 20 of 26, 377, a pair of touchdowns, one bad throw for a while there. I mean, he was basically um, perfect um, in, in until like the last possession, right? He was like, you know, what, 20 of 23? Um, and you can think of the three incompletions right off the top of your head pretty much. Ferber, if you had if I had told you that Anthony Calandria was gonna go twenty of twenty-six for three seventy-seven and two touchdowns, I'm gonna to assume that you would have thought UVA won this game. How impressed were you with AC ten?
1: Very. Um and it held up on the rewatch. Uh you know, like any quarterback's gonna make any, like some mistakes in games, and like there's probably a couple of plays where he wishes he got back or got out of the pocket a little quicker, but ultimately, you know, there's not much more UVA fans could have asked him to do besides win the game on the last drive and honestly most of that was not his fault that was just protection breakdown and then you and then you're in second and 20 and you know the odds are kind of stacked against you and then he almost hit a you know 80 yard touchdown to win the game um but yeah i mean i think uh his poise you know we we kind of talked about this before the game and before the season like the thing that really works in his favor I think is his kind of like calmness or maturity whatever you want to call it and the fact that he's played a lot of football since he got to grounds he's not just like a true freshman getting thrown in that got a few reps here and there in fall camp after getting here in July I mean dude played quite a bit in the spring considering they just didn't have a lot of quarterback depth with Jay playing baseball and I think that his um, knowledge of the system and you know ability to go out and execute it was good I think one of the things that he, I mean, and, and we can talk about whether it's sustainable or not, regardless of who the quarterback is. But, I mean, he just made a bunch of big plays, and not just big as in, like, timely. Big as in long yards, you know, long plays. Um, you know, I, I I think Washington's touchdown the first quarter was 63 yards. Um, Kobe Paces was 75. There were a few others. And he made, like, a few big-time good throws. I mean, not just, like, you know guys were wide open and he made throws like he put balls in windows. He made throws down the middle of the field, down the outside of the field. He used his legs pretty well. Um, he didn't run much, but like he did scramble around. I mean, the pace touchdown was a, like an off schedule kind of play where he got out of the pocket. And then the Paris Jones play, he kind of had to make something happen and dumped it off. And then Paris was able to run like 60 yards or whatever it was. So super impressed. I mean, obviously you wish you could have the interception back. And I think that was one where he just tried to do a little too much on a play, but um, ultimately, I mean, he, I don't want to say he carried them in this game, but you could almost go that far because oh, considering, I'm, Oh, I'm going to say it. He so carried them yeah. No, he,
0: he carried him. Listen, that dude, like some of the plays he made, uh, listen, there's a difference, right? When you're playing quarterback, when like your you guys, guys are just wide open. Okay. Dudes were getting some separation. I'll, I'll give them that. But there were there were plays he's throwing people open, right? He's throwing the ball the way you like these were some of those throws were simply not true freshman kind of throws. And I'm not saying that in a like, oh, he's gonna get drafted sort of way. I just mean that like this is a this is a kid who clearly gets it. Um I think well, let me put it to you like this. I spent a little bit of time during the weather to, like talking to Ball Hawk and Tony Covington. Shout out to both of them. And I just found it fascinating the things as former players that they were picking up on. One of the things they picked up on is like not just like how efficient he is at sort of seeing coverages, but then too like his his ease within things. Right, like even if even if you say that that the offensive staff really sort of simplified simplified it for him and and whatever. The way he was working through things was just not true freshman like. And Hawk mentioned that, you know, he noticed that the kids got like special handshakes with like every wide receiver, which you might hear that and you go, oh, that sounds kind of silly. Why does that matter? What it speaks to is like camaraderie. What it speaks to is like investment in time that he's been around guys. And I genuinely think, and we'll talk soon about, you know, the whole quarterback situation going forward. I just think that everything I saw on Saturday, Everything I heard on Saturday, including his post game interview, um, just made me think like this kid gets it. He's going to be a, a really good looking prospect down the road. Um, Virginia fans should be very excited about him, regardless of whatever happens for the rest of the season. Like the kid, the kid clearly gets. Um, he and he not only understands what's expected of him, but he seems like. Genuinely excited At the prospect of the pressure That comes with it right he just is not Shy about anything that comes comes Along with being the Guy Dave when you you went back And rewatched Calandria what what really Stood out to you um, both? you know Whether in the stadium on Saturday Or, or especially on the rewatch
2: Yeah I mean um, I, th- <laughs> I texted I'll tell you what we talked about in the text right I think it was like Friday Thursday Or Friday I texted Hey, wonder, wonder if uh, AC 10 is Patrick Mahomes. Like, why can't that ever happen for us? Um, there was a moment Saturday where I thought, hmm, maybe that's not so far fetched because he's <laughs> doing some stuff. I'm not trying to put that crown on him, but what was a joke? Like, there were moments Saturday where I'm like, yeah, that may not be Mahomes, but that's Mahomes like. <laughs> um, yeah, right. And, you know, it's, I mean, I think you guys hit on it. It's, um, you know, when you got an offensive line that continues to struggle like ours, you know, the court you're going to need a quarterback who's able to make plays off script. Um, and I think that's the bulk of what the offense was on Saturday. Um, he had four throws over 32 yards, so like four throws accounted for over 200 yards of his passing. Um, and that's fun. I mean, that's how you... Football's Football move the ball when you can. Um, and there were moments where, you know, I think, I think Harrison and. And uh, Malachi, you know, they had a bunch of short receptions, but you know, chain movers that kept the thing going. And despite constant pressure on him, I think he was sacked four times, right? And the in the rushing game only put up 48 yards from the running backs, you know, against a a second year FBS program. That's not great, um, but he still managed to to move the ball and put 35 points on the board, which you know Virginia didn't do last year. I can't. I'm trying to remember. They scored what? 38 they scored against Richmond? 34. Against it was
0: Richmond. the most points they've scored 34. since BYU a couple years ago.
1: But okay, also, sorry. like, they weren't just 35 points. It was 35 earned points. Yeah, they didn't crazy. have yeah, any touchdowns. points that were all like, oh, Jam, you gave him the ball at the 12 or anything like that. Right.
2: Yeah, very, very true. And I mean, I, I just liked his moxie. I mean, I kind of know it seems the team loves the guy. And this is, um, I mean, if you looked on Instagram today, like, you know, half the guys are talking about him. So it's, uh, he's, gay. whatever it is, he's got it. Um Now it's, maybe it's a double-edged sword for a kid like him to have that much success in game one, but um the little bit I know about him from what we, you know, what we're able to see, he seems like the kind of kid who can, who can handle it. Um, right. But now there's a whole game film on him, so he's gonna have, you know, the, the next, you know, Maryland or whoever next team he plays against is gonna have a little bit better scout than right. JMU had. Yeah. Um, and that's that's where the truth hits the road, you know. Yeah,
0: to put to to put that nugget in in context. So Virginia had scoring drives: three plays, seventy-five yards; eight plays, sixty-six yards; one play, seventy-five yards; four plays, seventy-five yards. The only short drive of the game was in the third quarter after Coach Lignetti sort of lost his mind a little bit. And you, uh, excuse me, Jamie, you went for it. Yeah, you're uh, right. Actually, on, there was on that one where they went for it.
1: Yeah, that but was other a bizarre that, decision, by the
0: way. God, it was just, I tweeted this. I was like, "This is a i mean, I've seen some stuff. Um I've seen some stuff covering UVA football over the years, but that was one and of the, the play they called decisions. was not a good play. It was like, bad. They threw a wide so receiver bad. screen. Like yeah, it was not a good look. It was like, everybody's already around the line scrimmage anyway. But anyway, um, to put a bow on the calendar thing, I, I think the thing that, that probably stands out to me the most is look, how many times have we seen UVA go down 14, nothing in a game like this, that they're supposed to be this and that. And, and then, And it just and it and it's just you know it's going to go poorly, right? Like even if they score some points or whatever. Now, granted, this thing did not end up the way we all wanted it to, right? But it certainly could have gone much, much worse, and many times has. And I genuinely think Calendria. I'm not going to tell. I'm not going to say it's simple as like he put the team on his back, but I do believe his energy and the way he. I mean, he created big plays, and what this does do for me is it speaks to okay. Maybe this offense can be better than I thought it was. And I don't mean necessarily, like, this season's offense. I'm talking about it in general. Like, we went into the season talking about, like, we needed to see some cohesion. We needed to see some, like, getting your act together kind of stuff. We needed to see, like, a plan, whatever. What that kid was running, and genuinely, I mean, what they were calling for him. Um, I, I got... You know, I don't have a lot of notes, right? I, I was a little bit uh, frustrated with some of the play calling against Tennessee, but no, I didn't have those same concerns this week. I, I mean, realistically, UVA lost this game because the Cavaliers did not match the effort. Um, the juice in the stadium was gone. Um, you know, rain, 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 or excuse me, weather delays like that are fluky. Um, but man, they did a lot of good stuff before that, and I don't want to have the result sort of take that out of context, right? I also don't want to just gloss over the mistakes, so let's get to the bad. Um listen, Virginia's defense right now cannot seem to tackle, and that's not a problem the Cavaliers had last season or at least not consistently enough. Now, you could tell me, "Oh, well they miss a couple pieces and those pieces are super important." You know what? Fair point, but I don't think that's enough to to make up for it. Dave, when you watched things back, what what stood out to you? What what was some of the let's let's focus a little bit of time
2: on the on the bad. And not quite the ugly, but just the bad. My bad my bad list can go for a while, but um I'd say bad, uh yeah, I mean you said it tackling. It's tackling and special teams would be my too bad. Like they're those two things. I think we need to move work. special
1: teams to a different category. <laughs> yeah, it might
2: be an ugly, but I'm just gonna say bad from the perspective that special teams and tackling aren't something you need to be a five-star to do well. Um, You know, it doesn't hurt, but you can, you know, those are fundamental things that Virginia on the tackling side did well last year, which is kind of carry, helped carry the defense to, you know, the improved performance versus the prior year. But special teams hasn't been good since the staff took over. And ultimately special teams, you know, you can simplify You know, a lot of plays in a game, but special teams, uh, definitely didn't help win that game and if anything lost it. So those two things alone were bad for me. And, um, also bad was uh, my anger level at the end of the game. Cause <laughs> I think I was disproportionately angry because of having to sit for an hour and 10 minutes and listen to James, you fans chant and then come back out to what looked like a JMU game at the end of it. Um, it was, you know, on the rewatch, I realized, you know, Virginia had that game. They just kind of ran, ran into a buzzsaw at the end. Um, but man, I was I was not a happy camper when that game ended. Um about the <laughs> anything. So, yeah, my my uh post-game attitude also bad. I I'm mean, improving <laughs> so it's now. It really what's
0: really funny Dave is that I was actually I was going to jokingly say like for my ugly was going to be uh Dave's entire point of view on all things football at the end of it cuz like Dave was like you know like the joke about like tweeting mm-hmm. through it. Right, Dave was really texting through it, man. He was, like, he was letting him go, but I do appreciate but not in the public square. Yeah, exactly. I do appreciate. It. He's, he was I among friends. And he was he was letting it, you know letting it all hang out. And I mean, if we're ever
1: like, don't tweet that. Yeah, like, that's, that's, that's true. Yes,
0: know. yeah, right. Uh, although I like to do a thing but that sometimes didn't where I'll type up a tweet that I'm clearly not gonna send, and I'll send it to them and be like, "What do you think?" And then I, I <laughs> you know, kind of just go from there. No, Dave, Dave, I think genuinely had a lot of actually, I thought salient points. I just think that a lot of folks and the fact that you had that time and you've rewatched it and you've kind of come to maybe not necessarily a quote unquote different place, but it maybe a um, the context is a little bit um, the angle, I guess, maybe is a little little, little different. Yeah, I mean, I'll,
2: I mean, I I'll, I'll, I'll simplify it for you. I'm not um, ready to go to any coach's house and pack up their stuff right now. <laughs> like I might have been on Saturday.
0: I don't think it was, much it was just anger. Dave, Dave just <laughs> needed an invitation, and and Clarence said it was not illegal, um, and he would have been all about it. But you know what, though, seriously though, I think that speaks to the frustration that a lot of folks have, and and I think if we're going to be honest about it, listen, we can talk about J- Jamie's a pretty good program, second year, whatever, and credit to them, credit to I mean look, those fans, man, they were not messing around. They were I mean, maybe some of them left. I don't think there were many of them that did. Um, credit to them for sticking around. And I'm not I'm not out here to like start taking shots at folks who left. You know, you make you make your own personal decisions for you and that's totally, you know, that's fine. Uh, I will say that it was striking the difference of vibe between It was like a practice in the end of the game. It was really, except the, the, the weird thing was that like, it felt like, it felt like we were in the wrong place. Like it just, it felt like somebody else had come to practice and we weren't supposed to be around. You know what I mean? Like, it was like we were imposing on somebody else's crib and like, that's not a good thing. And I'm again, I'm not taking any shots at anybody. Like it was, I've heard rumblings that they were people who were told specifically that the game was ending. Now, Folks, if you're at a, if you if you can hear my voice, if you're at a football game and there's a weather delay, they're not just going to cancel the game like that. Like that's not how this works, right? So please don't assume um, that that's going to be a thing. And if they do that, it, it's going to be on the big screen. Like they're going to say, and all they were talking about was clearing the stadium. Um, but I do I have heard rumblings that there were some folks who were apparently told um, that the game had been canceled that that it had well, been or that they
1: couldn't come back in.
0: Right now. I don't think that that number can realistically be large enough to make up for the lack of UVA fans that were left in the building. Okay. So, I'm, I mean, I, I said
1: it as soon as they delayed it. I told Dave, I said, this is going to be a JMU home game when this comes back because all the UVA fans are going to leave because they can go back to their cars and go home. Whereas, like, JMU fans, where do they have to be? Like, they're here for the game. Yeah.
2: <laughs> like, and a lot of the JMU fans that were there were students. Like, so there was. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think that's one of the crowd. reasons it got so rowdy. It was like it was a frat crowd at the end there. Um and that's fine. Good for them. Not yeah. for us.
0: Um Ferber, what were some of your bads? Um, I mean, we've kind of mm. quasi covered a little bit of the ugly, but what else you got for for the for the bad takeaways?
1: I mean, the obvious one to me is the defense and just actually the whole operation after the delay was bad. Um we kind of just talked about that it wasn't just the crowd energy i mean the team came back out pretty flat and and again i'm not trying to like say like oh if there was no delay like uva would have just coasted to victory but i think if you could go back and look at it when that if you watched the game up to the delay it didn't feel like jmu was about to turn it on and win like um and i think the delay and what happened afterwards kind of tells the story of the difference between where these two programs are right now, regardless of the amount of talent on the rosters or the league they play in. UVA is a team. I think learning how to win is like an overused cliche. Like this team won games before this coaching staff. It's not like they never won a game before. Um, But, and especially games that they should win. Um, But at the same time, like you could see like JMU came back out to win the game. Like they were like, all right, what do we have to do we have to go score stop them score again we're gonna win like and we we're gonna go do that now and UVA came out to try not to lose that's how it felt to me like on both sides and not like from the coaches necessarily only it just felt like everybody was like tiptoeing around kind of you know um and the defense like we talked about and this will be one of my bads we talked about it after the Tennessee game and kind of gave him a pass given the opponent but they don't force negative plays so like when you can't tackle, like that was a huge difference in the game when I rewatched it. There were uh third and or second and eights that turned into third and twos that JMU converted that should have been third and sevens if the tackle was made.
0: Right. Agreed. Um
1: there was one and in the in the end of the game. I think I want to say it was on the game winning score drive where they basically had the running back bottled up at the line of scrimmage on like a I think it was like a quick pass to the flat or something. And like somebody lost him and he ended up it ended up going from like second and ten to like third and short when it should have been like third and eleven. Mm-hmm. Um and it was a huge difference. Um the tackling, the coverage hasn't been very good, the pass rush isn't very good. Um, they're not getting to the quarterback. It's not like he is, they got they got one sack and it's not like he avoided a bunch of other ones, right? Um he had all day to throw, and when you have all day to throw, you're gonna have guys open eventually especially when you have guys out and especially when you have a secondary that's kind of unproven at this point compared to what we saw last year um other bad things I mean we, we kind of talked about special teams real quick i would say penalties uh for sure um they were eight for 80 uh including some really big ones if you go back and watch the I mean the first play from scrimmage on offense they get a, a holding call that brings back a 70 yard run that Ew, instead of yeah. and then what happens is you get backed up to your own goal line and you get your pump blocked yeah, so, yep. I mean, that was, that penalty was one of the biggest plays in the game. Um, and you have that, and then you have, you know, like the sack allowed on the last drive that kills any chance of a comeback with less than a minute to go. I think Furnish or somebody had a false start at one point, at like at a really bad time.
0: Yeah, you're right. Yep.
1: Late in the game in the fourth quarter. Um, yeah and there were I mean there were uh Sanker has the DPI when if he just plays the ball there and doesn't grab the guy he either picks it off or knocks it down like it's not caught um you know and and there were some others uh the illegal hands to the face call I think was pretty big um, Yeah that I illegal
0: hands to the face and then there was another one I guess that one came right after the the no call um, which they almost is, uh,
1: sacked McLeod on that play, and he like barely got the ball off, and then they called illegal. Yeah. And it would have yeah. been like third and ten or something. Yeah, um,
0: Th- that play was not too long after the one on Calandria that didn't get called, which I always love when they do this, where where the you know photographers who were at the game. The Calandria room,
1: one was super obvious. I saw. Oh, it was live. so obvious. But there's yeah. like this yeah.
0: one picture on the wire. I mean, the kid's got his whole hand, you know, up in the uh, on the kid's helmet, um, in his face mask. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, there, you're, they're, It's you your 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 story today about the the breakdown of sort of like the the close losses and the number of you know little things here and there that just didn't go their way. This game this game was like a microcosm of that, right? Because yeah, you're right. In that last drive, um, UVA's got the ball up five. Um, there's a false start on the first play from scrimmage, so they move it back from the twenty five to the twenty. Then they're looking at a first and ten. Um, Hollins runs for a few yards and then they get a penalty on a false start on Furnish that pushes them back to second and 12. Right. It just felt like all day long, either Calandria was out there just slinging the rock. Right. Or UVA just kind of couldn't get itself in the right position. And that was true on both sides of the ball. Actually, all phases, if you think about special teams. Um, but that first, that, that, that hold. Um, I, mean, I, I, I don't know. You, did you guys see it? Um, it was they, a hold. I mean, so okay. It was a super late flag, right?
1: So we we noticed that first,
0: right? Um, that's why and I was it was on. Us. It
1: was on Malachi Field, so it was at the edge of the play. So I don't. It didn't affect like the play. Still would have gone for a huge gain, right? Maybe the D. was a hold, part of right. the tackle at the end. But it was a hold. He grabbed. Him, okay. Yeah, for sure. So
0: speaking yeah. of Malachi, real quick, I we should have. I'm. I be. I was remiss in not talking about this during the good se- section. Like that man. And we're not saying that because he's just a friend of the pot. That man straight up just mauled JMU, all right? He also had a – yeah, he destroyed a guy on on Malik Washington's touchdown. I'm not even talking about about the fact that he had 74 yards on – he was averaging 9.3 yards per target, and he had eight targets, okay? Which – okay, Malik – sorry, Malik Washington had 23 and change average per reception, okay? But he had one reception for 63 yards, Okay. Malachi had eight targets, eight catches, 74 yards, right? His longest was 15. He just kept mauling these dudes. And then when he wasn't the one getting the ball, he was straight up just absolutely destroying some kid. Every time I turned around, he's driving some dude into the ground. Um, That is easily the most physical I've ever seen him like play across a full game. And frankly, I, there was a, there was a stretch of the game. I was like, just throw it to him. Like this is like a three point shooter whose average is just way too high. He needs to shoot more, right? Just keep throwing him the ball, because clearly he, the what the the Janu had no idea what to do with him, and I mean frankly I hope that this is a you know a staple of the offense going forward. Like make the other team prove that you can stop this dude, because I mean he was absolutely ridiculous on Saturday, uh, and again I know you know we've got we've all. We know that kid. We, we since he was not a dude who would maul people, um, and we've seen him grow up, and we're huge fans and whatnot. But I'm telling you, that kid is special, and he gives the offense something that, frankly, they just have not had at all. I mean, who, who's the most physical guy that you can remember that on, on the level that Malachi is? Because a lot of guys have been fast. A lot of guys have been, you know, good route runners. A lot of guys, you know, good, you know, athletes and such. Good balance, whatever. I don't know if you've seen a dude this athletic who also is just an Absolute like physical like specimen like he's just out there punking People they got Dubois had that
1: Dubois had that energy he just was it Was more of like a a personality he wasn't like built that way (laughs) he just Was like I'm gonna I'm gonna block you like by right yeah
0: that's fair That's fair yeah Um, how is probably the one guy
1: um Right. And Reed, obviously, was kind of like
0: that, too. Uh, that's true. Yeah, but, except I don't think Joe of... had the same, like, mentality. Like, I think Joe's just, like, super, like, he's a really good athlete, but he's a super nice guy. That's not to say Malachi's not, but, man, when Mal- Malachi plays with an anger. Like, he, like, they always talk about, like, defensive linemen having violent hands. Like, Malachi has, like, violent intentions. Like, when he, and, I mean, like, again, if you watch the, like, he's straight up just, like, Driving dudes into the ground every chance he gets. It's it was. I don't know if there was something specific happening or if that's just the way he wants to run his program this year or what. But I'm I was super impressed with his play on Saturday. I have um, one more bad I need to yeah, add, and that's yeah,
1: the offensive line play and the run blocking. I mean, it's just not good. ugly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just not good. Like uh, they're you know they're, they're giving up way too many sacks um, in the pass blocking, and then you know, against, and that's, what's so weird is like, people were like, you know, I've seen a lot of people be like, they can't run the ball, like just stop trying, but they did run the ball pretty well against Tennessee in the second half. And granted, Tennessee was probably, you know, not giving it a (laughs) hundred percent, um, but they still did it, you know? So I I don't want to just necessarily be like, they can't run the ball period. Um, but you know, like we didn't see, and that's what sucks about that first play. I mean, that was blocked really well and it went for a huge gain. Um, And then they did, I will give them credit, they did a pretty good job in the red zone where it really matters, right? That's something that they struggled with a lot last year was finishing drives in the red zone. It's cost them in a lot of these close games. They did block really well in the red zone for the run game and they got three rushing touchdowns out of it. Um, But, you know, I think at the end of the game, we talked about the play calling and I think that, you know, they did a good job of kind of like letting Calandria do his thing and cut him loose and they didn't kind of like make him just hand the ball off way too much. But I do kind of wish they would have maybe just, I don't want to say abandoned the run, but like gotten a little bit more pass happy down the stretch. Um, Just because like, you know, obviously we know now that it didn't work out, but, and I'm all for like killing clock in the fourth quarter. Like, I think that's smart, but maybe they would have been better served to kind of like, instead of trying to turn second and 10 to third and nine with a one yard run, (laughs) Just let him throw the ball and hope it's complete. And if you lose a few thirty seconds of clock to JMU, so be it.
0: Let's let's transition from our what did I say earlier? Like we always do, and y'all like ruffled your feathers um, from our good, bad, ugly. Let's go to just to talk quarterback. Um, so clearly the. Um, The plan, as Tony Elliott laid it out after the game, was if Tony Elliott, excuse me, Tony Muscat can go Friday night in College Park, he'll be the guy, and that seems to be um, the plan. Still, a lot of conversation out there, as expected, uh, as you know, when a kid comes out and does what Calandria did, it's really, it's really hard not to envision that kid getting the opportunity to to stick. I, I, I've got two thoughts on this, and I'm curious to get y'all's feedback. The first is the idea of the hot hand, right? I don't think hot hands stretch between games, opponents and states, okay? Like, he's not the hot hand anymore if there's a new game, there's a new new opponent, and and the situations have changed. Uh, In the game, quarter to quarter, sure, great. But I don't think you can refer to him as the hot hand um, a week later or, I guess, a day, six days later. My second point here is, that, like, I actually really respect, even though I probably, like, personally – I think Calandria is probably the the quarterback I want to see more of right now, but that doesn't change the fact that, that Tony, uh, Tony, uh, Tony Musket went in there and won the job and he deserves to have trying the, to make Tony Elliott the quarterback. It's really not intentional. Next thing you know, Tony Bennett's going to be squaring up. Um, but like Musket is, you know, he won the job. It's not, I like the idea that, you know, they're going to give him the start. There's also a lot of, you know, real world sort of like, Hey, you know, if Calandria comes out and he's not great, you've really kind of put yourself in a really tough spot because now you're going to go back to musket and that's a really awkward sort of deal. It makes a lot more sense to give the team back to, to musket and, and see if he performs. How do we feel about musket starting the game? Do we think it's the right choice? Um, let's see, Dave, let's start with you. Do you think starting musket is the right choice and how do you feel if, uh, about Calandria? kind of, if that's, you know, if that's the way it comes to pass, I mean, for all we know, um, musket springs a to giblet tomorrow but yeah um if that's the way it comes to pass are you, how comfortable are you with calendars you know kind of moving back into that backup role
2: i mean i'm okay with it i understand the thought process you don't want to lose you know you don't want your quarterback to lose this spot because he got injured um and you know we were talking about how well musket played you know for for most of that game against tennessee when he had tom to make the throws so it's not like he played terrible he just played a very good team and was getting chased around a lot. I do think Musket um, brings more to the run game than AC10 does. Um, I think he's more comfortable in the read option stuff, but that's just based on the, you know the film I've seen and his history. But given that he was a starter, got hurt, it makes sense. Yeah, I think you know the whole point that you know Ace, uh Landry came in as the backup, was ready, played well when he came in against Tennessee, obviously. Prepped well last week, had a great game Saturday. Um, Now he just rolled. You know, assuming Tony's healthy, like, I mean, I've seen a lot of tweets saying that Des said he's the starter. Des said he's the starter if he's good to go. He didn't say he was good to go yet, though. So it's yeah, a little.
1: I had the same thought.
2: <laughs> yeah. So I mean, that's a. It, it's what they're a,
1: saying is he's still ahead of him, like in theory. <laughs> like yeah.
2: Yeah. If he's good to go, he's you know he's 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 going. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm okay with it. it. Makes sense to me. Um. I think now Musk has just got a shorter leash because you you know you yeah you let know, if if the offense is struggling for a few possessions and Maryland's putting points on the board maybe you you turn to Calandria a lot earlier than it would have if he hadn't played last week.
0: Ferber, do you agree?
2: I do.
1: Um, I agree with yeah, everything that was you a te- said too.
0: About, that was a tepid agreement if I ever heard one.
1: I No, I, I just, do. I agree with what you say too about like, I'm, I'm still excited about Calandria. So it's not like, I'm like, oh, thank God, Tony Musket's playing instead right, of him. Fair. Right. Yeah, it's not you. like that. Um, I think, you know, these decisions don't happen in a vacuum for, for starters, right? Tony Musket played one game against a team. They were pretty much, they were overmatched against, um, he did some pretty good things. He certainly didn't do anything that was bad. I mean, he didn't, he had some incomplete passes, but I never was like, man, this guy's like completely out of his depth. And he didn't have an interception or anything like that. Um, he dealt with like, he was picking the ball off the ground the entire game, basically from the low snaps. Um, and that was the first game he's played at UVA. He has one game under his belt, less than that. Calandria has one really good game under his belt, which is great, and I think that you know UVA fans should be happy that they got what they got from him last week. Um, Now, if Tony if Tony Musket had been playing for like let's say five games and UVA was like one and four or zero and five, and things were like, and you know Tony wasn't terrible, but he wasn't helping them, and then you had Calandria come in and put up thirty five points, then I think your decision is different, right? But we we don't have that knowledge, and also. I said this in our text thread earlier, like you can't just throw out your entire plan for the season because a dude got hurt and missed a game and his backup played well.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's if, not like like I said, if season.
1: Calandria and if Calandria played eight games like this or four, right. Right. I think maybe you're like, well, we're not going to take him out now. Like we're doing well. Um, right. And that's a different conversation. I don't believe in the guys can never lose their job to injury. I think that's antiquated. Um, but I think in this scenario, it doesn't really make sense to be like, and I think your point about, Putting Calandria in a weird spot is true, too. Like if he goes to Maryland, which is very possible that they're not going to have as much success as they did against JMU um, on offense. Like if he goes up there and in the first half he's um, nine for 19 for 53 yards and two picks, then what do you do? you go back to musket and then you're in this revolving door yeah. and you were saying ride the hot hand. Like I do not believe in that for quarterbacks. Like yeah, I don't we, we've seen that we've seen people try it. We're text trying it right now or whatever they're doing. No, like the only <laughs> said what no. you know, no, it doesn't. <laughs> you don't ride the hot hand for quarterbacks. You ride the hot hand for running backs. Like it just doesn't make sense. If, if Tony's not getting the job done, you go to Calandria and if Calandria is not getting the job done, then then what? I mean, you go back to Musket, but then you're back in this back and forth. If you go to Calandria this season as the starter, I feel like it's probably more of a permanent move. Right. You know what I mean? You're yeah. saying like, either this isn't working out and we're going to go to this other guy, or Calandria is just so good that we can't not play him. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. those are your two options.
2: Basically. I feel like they're almost back at square one. Um, like, you know, they came out of camp and there was this, whether it was serious or not, you know, the discussion about Calandria pushing, Pushing for the starting job, well, if that was serious or not, Musket was the named the starter. He got hurt in the Tennessee game, didn't get to finish that game. Calandria played against JMU. I feel like you're just kind of resetting. Like we've had two extended spring practice, you know, fall practices now. Uh, Musket's our starter, but here we go. We know a little more I, information. I so would, let's see where they yeah, what okay. happens.
0: That's where I was gonna. Um, I was getting ready to. Re- I was getting ready to re- respond. I was gonna say the difference though is that you have now. You know, if nothing else, you've got a backup, right? Best case scenario, you throw Musket back out there. The offense loses the good. ball Well, and yeah. he's good. And Okay. You're good to go. Right. And now you yeah. can sort of pick and choose. I, I, two things. One, I agree with Ferber. I'm not a big believer in the um, whole hot hand thing for quarterbacks. Yeah, if they start um, rotating quarterbacks, I'm out.
2: And that's <laughs> what sucks. It's, it's like,
1: it's a really good thing that they saw Calandra go out and do well, because now you know that you don't have like, you have a capable backup. Like exactly. you said, Brad, yeah. and, and maybe a quarterback of the future, if nothing else. And that's a good thing. For the football team but it's a bad thing in a way for like the vibe around the program with the fans because now it's like the first incomplete pass musket throws you know people are going to or if they don't score a touchdown on their first drive people are going to be like well make a change yeah and if fair. that if the coaches don't care about that then that doesn't really matter right um
2: if you left during the rain delay you don't get a vote and the good <laughs> thing is <laughs> anyway. it seems like
1: both guys are really well liked and both guys are that's like, exactly where I was there's not go, like dude. this weird. you're not going to have like a I don't want to say Sims Rocco situation, but kind of like that where it's like, well, we all think it should be the other guy and the coaches yeah. aren't playing him.
0: Yeah. That, like, that, that whole thing in hindsight, I don't know if folks would characterize it like this, but I will characterize it like this. It definitely felt like there were portions of the team that were one way and portions of the team that were the other way. And each side sort of thought that their that dude wasn't getting um, a fair shake. The thing that's different here. And I was kind of going in this direction too, for it's was like, I genuinely don't think the fan piece of this matters whatsoever. What does matter is what the kids think, right? So, do the kids think Calender's getting the shaft? Do the kids feel like Musket should get his opportunity? I thought that the way Calender answered the question last Saturday, um, I forget who asked it, it might have been Barber. Um, he was like, "Look, that's you know, that's up to coach." He didn't say like, "Look, I think I played hard enough, I played played well enough to earn this job." He was like, "Look, I just go out there play, and you know, they tell me you know when to go in," and I thought. For a young kid, I thought he handled that really, really well. And I also think that, like, my thing is like this. Just don't get cute with it, right? Nobody needs alternating quarterbacks on various drives, all that nonsense, right? Like, if Musket's your guy, go in there with Musket, and then if you need to make a change, you make a change. But we don't need to do this, like, back and forth song and dance, right? I understand where you guys are coming from. It's like, sometimes when your backup quarterback is good, it creates a whole lot of, like... Potential like chaos In a way right because you're sort of Like stuck In this constant state of like If Calandria was other...
1: bad against JMU we would be like Thank god Tony's back you know what I mean exactly. like, There wouldn't be any yeah, everybody would fair. be on the same Page
0: so in, in essence I think It's a good thing for 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 the program That the kid you know had a good game it's Also understandable that like hey He's still a freshman like you need to see Him do it consistently uh, over Time before you can really sort of expect Him to do it over time right Yes, he showed you he's got the ability. Now, can he execute with consistency? Um, Musket won the job for reason. I do believe that on some level, um, not necessarily that it was like that it was like um, just talk, but I do think on, on some level the idea that Calandria was pushing was much more about sort of like how well Calandria was playing versus, uh, or maybe the potential yeah. they saw in him versus like. What they never were like doing. Tony struggling. Exactly. Like. Yeah. I don't think it necessarily had anything to do with the way Musket was. It was basically like, hey, this kid's playing pretty well and he's pushing Musket. It's it's a good thing. It's the way these coaches think about competition, right? And so I don't think it meant that like the gap between the two of them had sort of narrowed as much as it meant like hey, Calander is actually doing a really nice job and that's good for us cuz it's pushing the the competition along. Um it's making Musket, you know, need to be sharper in order to be better than him. So, I mean, look, you, you I, ideally Muskie goes out there he's your quarterback and everything's great if it happens that they're you know maybe he, he's not he's not as sharp or or whatever as he needs to be or as he could be I mean yeah that's a tough decision and there's an opportunity I think we've we've all talked about sort of the staff especially in offense sort of showing folks that they are that there's a plan showing folks that they're um, capable of sort of making the decisions and being in those chairs and and, and calling uh, or excuse me, maybe the better way to say it is uh, putting together the, the, the solutions, right? This is a, this is what coaches are supposed to do, right? So we're going to see if, if Tony Elliott and his, uh, in his group on offense can, can kind of not necessarily write this ship or at least keep things going the way it needs to be uh, needs to go. Cause that's certainly, whenever you're talking about quarterbacks, man, there's always this weird risk that things are going to get uh, real, you know, real dramatic real quick um so we'll see what the next week sort of brings us yeah there's um, 10
2: games left i mean our quarterbacks have been sacked eight times in the first two um yeah, yeah you need to get both of them <laughs> both of them experience and like like i said the simple thing for me is it's it's a decision for this game he didn't say hey, he's, he's a starter for every game ever you know if he's healthy it's uh if he's good to go he's going to be the starter and that makes sense so you know, if, if Tony goes to Maryland and sh- struggles and they don't go to AC 10, I think you've got a different discussion. Um, so we'll see. There's a lot of season left. Conference play I hadn't even started yet.
0: All right, guys, you got anything else on last week? Uh, before we move on,
2: uh, one quick thing because I mean, I feel like I've been really hard on this coaching staff for the last long time. Um, yeah. <laughs> Especially after what we saw from the offense last year. I'm not really ready to give, like, Des Kitchings and and Tony for changing the offense a whole lot of flowers. But um, I do think Taylor Lamb deserves a little, hey, I see ya, um, for the way that both quarterbacks have kind of come out and played. I completely agree. um, Two games in. Now it's a lot lot of season left, just like we're saying. But for a guy who I think got a lot of grief last year um, for how Brennan regressed, so far, you know, he had – he had some role in identifying these guys and yeah you know, they've come out and they've looked like they're bought in and mechanically um I mean just from a just from a quarterback mechanic standpoint um looks pretty good compared to what we saw last year yeah I
1: agree yeah that. and I was gonna say like not just the getting them ready piece but also the like you said the the player I the identifying piece I yeah. mean like Calandria was not a highly sought after guy like they went and were like this guy looks pretty good he's committed to middle tennessee state let's see if we can get him they got him and yep. musket was a guy that they it was their first choice basically in the portal so you know if those two guys work out that's good for them if they don't then that's on them you know like that's those are the guys they picked <laughs> um so because yeah, we've been yeah. hearing
2: a lot of jeff Sims, and after seeing him a couple games i don't know that yeah we... <laughs> he was terrible he's been terrible
1: yeah. um yeah so i mean i think like this is it, it, it's a little bit of proof of concept that they can identify some players. And I think there's some other, like I said last week, there's some other freshmen on the roster where I'm like, huh, like I wonder if they might've found something here, you know? Um, but ultimately you need a lot of depth and guys to kind of get you over the top. Um, yeah. yeah. And I also, like I said before, like, I think they get a lot of, I think they should get credit for like the offense's improvement last week versus what we've seen for the other 11 games for the most part. I'm I'm curious to see how much of what they did was like, you know, I mean, obviously a lot of it was by choice. They were letting Calandria go out and throw the ball around. It wasn't like they tried to dumb it down for him or something, but at the same time, like, I mean, he made a lot of great throws and plays like I'm curious and, and they didn't just go for like 15, 20 yards. Some of them went for 60 yards, 75 yard touchdowns, um, keeping you from having to earn it in the red zone where they've struggled. So I'm curious to see how that works, you know, going forward, if they're able to kind of replicate that with either quarterback, because I don't think they're super different from one another. Um, yeah. Or if maybe it was just a flash in the pan against the JMU team, that's maybe not as just couldn't hang athletically with UVA's receivers or whatever. Right.
0: Um, real quick, before we move on to Maryland, I, I just want to have a quick conversation and I don't, I genuinely don't want this to take forever. But there, there was a lot of conversation the other day when App State's playing Carolina about the idea of not, you know, don't, don't ever play App State again. Like, you don't, you shouldn't do this. I, I understand sort of the mindset that that is, but I really kind of hope that Virginia, even if it's not like an every year thing, plays, like, I don't think, I hope they don't wait like 40 years until they play again. Um and, and I understand it from the standpoint of like, well, what good is this for the, F, you know, the power five team or whatever? And my answer to that is like, dude, if you're afraid to play an in-state FBS, who's not whatever, then dude, your program is not worth it. Like I, I, I get really frustrated with this idea that like schools should be scared when it comes to scheduling, like play, play good teams. And if you can't win games against good teams then you know what, go, you know, get a new coach. You're like, what are we doing? Like, like i the idea that like Mac Brown isn't going to want to play App State again. You know what? You should probably want to, you know, rid yourself of that demon. Uh, you should be looking for those matchups. You should be excited to play them. You should be excited to beat them. Like this idea that like these uh, power five schools are going to like run away from these matchups. is just—I just I just don't understand it. I just think it's I just think it's weak. Um, what do you guys think I about agree. playing teams like that?
1: I agree with you. Um You should respect JMU for sure because they're a great program. They showed it on Saturday. They have a lot of maturity. They're well-coached, good fan base in terms of support at least. (laughs) Um, Not the nicest fan base maybe, but definitely a good fan base. Um, You shouldn't be afraid to play teams like that just because, you know, you're a Power 5 program. If you're doing what you should be doing in in between the seasons, then you should be able to play the games. Now I think as far as the Mac Brown thing, like I don't know that you want to be going to Boone to play. Like, that feels kind of like a, a losing situation. Um, but I, I think playing JMU, playing ODU, playing Liberty is fine. Um, I, I don't think you should, you know. I think, and that's part of the thing, too, is I think people get the 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 fervor around the loss was way worse because it was JMU instead of, like, Georgia Southern. Like, if they had lost, because yeah. everybody would have been like, oh, Georgia Southern's predicted to win the Sun Belt East, which JMU is this year. Yeah, or Troy. Um, yeah, I mean, Troy's probably just as good as JMU, but like nobody, they would just be like, man, we lost to a non-Power 5 team, but it wouldn't be as, people wouldn't be as like emotionally upset because there's no holdover after effect of it. Um, yeah. And I think the problem here is, and I, I've been thinking about this, this, was like the first thing I thought when I left the stadium the other day, the scheduling for this year was idiotic because they already had Maryland on the schedule. They're required to play a, Ma- a power five team out of conference. Then they added JMU in Tennessee adding JMU. Fine. If you play JMU in Maryland in the same year, that's okay. But you shouldn't also be playing Tennessee. It just doesn't make any sense. Like, and next year they go to Notre Dame, but they also have to play Maryland and they have to go to coastal Carolina. Like, why are you doing that? You should never yeah. be playing less than seven home games, except for very rare situations. And now they're going to be doing it two years in a row. Um, So like it just that you're overdoing it when you don't need to Um, a program like UVA, you're going to have some down years schedule for success by trying to go three and one or better in the non-con this year. They already started out with a loss like before they even played because they weren't going to beat Tennessee. So it's like and now you have to go to Maryland after you knew that JMU was going to be tough. Um, Don't schedule like that, but you can still schedule JMU. That's my point.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know anything specific about Jamie. It would be nice to play him like once every, you know, at least once every four years, um, whatever the number is. But, you know, there's plenty of good programs in the Commonwealth. I think Virginia should always play one or, you know, at least one of them every year. Um, that's kind of the way I'm FC, thinking about it,
0: right? Yeah. Like move through a group of, you know, Richmond, William Mary, um, Old Dominion, and, and James Madison. You know, like move Also, I mean, like look
1: how many people were at the game. Yeah. Like, that's I mean, UVA showed up, but like yeah. it was 55,000 people and it was a good atmosphere. Like, you're not going to get that if you play Middle Tennessee State.
0: Like you're just not. Yeah. No, you're not. And and listen, I understand like and the honestly, idea of hold on one, one second. Yeah. I understand the idea of like why why teams schedule other folks. I get that, but like like it's good for everybody, right? If if they play this game, and if you're afraid of it, that says everything about you. And like, if you're, if you can't, if you, if you're worried because Jamie's going to come to town and beat you, then get a different, whatever, right? Like, don't let the, don't let the idea of losing be the impediment between playing a good team and not. There are great teams in the Commonwealth. Like these games should not be so rare. Um, They just shouldn't. I I just, I, I can't, I can't wrap my mind around the idea that like, you know, Carolina shouldn't play App State. Like why? If Carolina's afraid that's then you know what Mac Brown's too old like they need to do something different like they like you have literally one of the best quarterbacks in the country and you're afraid like who are you afraid of like you should welcome the opportunity to play anybody good especially folks from your backyard all right sorry Dave I cut you off what were you going to
2: say yeah I mean I personally would pr- rather play JMU than Coastal Carolina um I mean JMU in state I think their university more lines with UVA than Coastal Carolina does um I don't see the benefit of playing a team like Coastal, and yeah, you know, Virginia plays them. I think next year and then year after, yeah, Virginia host them in twenty five. I guess that's the makeup from last year. But there's definitely room on the schedule to add JMU in the future. Hopefully, they do in the very near future. You know, Virginia's got series coming up with Norfolk State, Indiana, and Kansas. Um, but a lot of open dates, so hopefully, I would honestly, I was gonna, I was what I was interrupt you to say is like, I wouldn't be opposed to you know. Signing a four-year deal with JMU where they play three at UVA, and we play one there um, over that course of that time. Uh, I know their AD was talking about not wanting to have to do two-for-ones, but you know what, buddy? If you <laughs> want to play in-state at home, I think three-for-one is fine. Um, <laughs> because, yeah, or you know, can just it's... take
1: the buy game and we'll take your money and – that's and true. sometimes win.
2: <laughs> yeah. So. And also, yeah, we never
1: said that they weren't as good as the Richmond team. Okay. <laughs> yeah.
2: If you're listening to this podcast to see what we said, um, appreciate you listening. Yeah. Context. Having is said there. that, they
1: gave up a lot more points than that Richmond team did. That's when true.
0: They yeah. Came. Yeah. We, they didn't quite hit the four or five sacks that I, I said that I thought they might get. Um, but hey, if they they had, had a lot of team, tackles you folks for are listening, loss, but fifty yeah. some minutes into the show, more power to them. All right, we are fifty minutes into the show, so we can get to Maryland real quick. Uh, I think all of us probably expect this one's probably going to be a rough night. Um, it's going to be a rough night for the Hoos. Um, generally speaking, Ferber, what's your what's your what's your thought process on this game?
1: Yeah, I mean, I had Maryland on uh, the third TV on Saturday night while I was watching other games. Um, yeah, they they kind of started off pretty shaky against Charlotte, and they had to pick six, I think, and then you know, kind of took a while to get going. They were definitely trailing at half. Um, and then they kind of turned it on. Um, they're going to put pressure on UVA's defense. I mean, I think if UVA doesn't make some significant improvements to what they're doing defensively to create more pressure, create more plays in the back end and tackle well and stop the run, basically everything that a defense has to do, uh, Maryland's going to be a problem. They have a good quarterback, uh, to a junior. Um, and, you know, he's a solid player with a lot of experience. And then they have a really good run back, running back, Roman Hemby. And they just have a lot of – I mean, Loxley just as you know, UVA fans probably aren't surprised. Like, he's recruited some good players there. And they just have – I mean, to be honest, they just have more depth and talent on the lines too, which I think mm-hmm. is a problem in this one. Yeah, um, for sure. That's what I keep coming back to with this game is, like, UVA might be able to make some plays. And I don't know that they're going to get, like, run out of the gym. Um but you know at the same time i i feel like they're going to the struggles like at the line of scrimmage running the ball protecting the quarterback those are things that are hard to hard to overcome and i think that those will probably continue to be a yeah. struggle so that means you have to be really tight everywhere else with like the red zone offense and turnovers and special teams and penalties and stuff like that
0: we talk a lot about you know margin of error and that kind of thing but it does feel like this virginia team has has enough that that you can see you could see Virginia going to College Park and winning, right? Um, the question is like, what would need to happen in order for that to come to pass, right? And Dave, I feel like it would require UVA to play more efficient and a cleaner game, I think, than maybe the Cavaliers are, um, especially given what we've seen from the defense. Now, if the defense can kind of become a little bit more. Um, I guess you know the bend but don't break thing. They actually don't break. Um, maybe maybe it becomes a little bit easier to see, but it feels like to me at least that there are just there's too many there's too many opportunities, too many places where the thing just sort of slips away from them. Right, the efficiency, the um, the ability to you know whether staying on the field on third down, getting off the field on the other side you know, being able to be in the right place at the right time to get a PBU as opposed to a a, um, a PI. I, I just feel like this this team right now is just not in a place where um, they're going to, you know, be expected to go on the road and beat a team like Maryland. You know, I'm not saying Maryland's like the end-all be-all, but clearly, you know, they've got it kind of cooking in some ways. What are your general thoughts about the matchup with the Terps?
2: It's tough. Like, I mean, I've, I've watched Maryland too, and they've definitely got a more physical you know, they're more physical in the trenches than, than Virginia has shown to be this year, um, especially their defensive line against our offensive line. Um, and they run the ball well. But they also haven't really played anybody. You know, they played Towson and Charlotte. And Charlotte gave them all they all they could handle in the first half last week. Um, so And Charlotte I mean, kind eye... of
1: imploded, too. Like, they yeah, just started they... making, like, a bunch of big mistakes. <laughs> and that's yeah. why the game ended up as lopsided as it did.
2: So, you know, my eyes tell me, like, Maryland's got the talent. Um and I think you know, obviously, you know, short week for Virginia coming off uh, another emotional game. After yeah, this will be Virginia's third tough game, Maryland's first tough game. If you want to consider us a tough opponent, um, I know we're biased, right? Um, we're probably as good as that Richmond team Bronco played. The uh, um, I, it's going to be interesting. Like I, I don't think it would be. I was trying to think of a like if Virginia went up and went went up there and won. I don't think it would be as surprising as when Virginia went to Boise State and won. Um, I literally looked team. up
1: what the point spread was in the Boise State game earlier today to compare, and it was like thirteen
2: and a half. I guess it would be about equally then, um, but yeah, that Virginia team had won a couple games already, though they were mm-hmm. two and one going to yeah going to Boise. The shocking um, thing about beating Boise
1: was more that they w- did it
2: by like twenty points. Yeah, it was just yeah, it was yeah. like
1: it was over from the start. Like
0: that, they just blew them off. Except
2: when they when they almost tied it up at halftime. Well, they did tie it up before half. We scored late um, and put them away. But yeah, UVA started really hot. Then it was close, and then Bronco
1: cursed a bunch in the locker room, and then they blew them out.
2: In the second half. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it it would be on that level. Um, but look, it's not good. It's not going to be. It would have been you know, if Virginia mm-hmm. winning against Tennessee would have been a much a much less likely result. Um, Like I said, it's going to be interesting. Um, Going to kind of see where this team is. I'm excited to watch it. I I don't... If Virginia's protects the ball, I don't think they'll get blown out. Um, Now I think they'll win. You know, Maryland will win pretty comfortably. But I think Virginia can stay within a couple scores in this game if they just don't shoot themselves in the foot. And if they play well and Maryland does it, they could be right in this thing. Yeah, Um, that's true. I just haven't seen the defense you know, create enough havoc and be consistent enough to make me think, you know, they're going to help out with a whole lot of short field unless fair. they just make a big mistake.
0: You do feel like if Maryland is efficient at all, right. Keep the penalties down. Um, make sure you're not staring at a whole bunch of third and longs. Uh, you just, you do feel like it's going to be tough because Virginia's defense has just not been up to the task this year so far, be it tackling, be it, um, you know, big plays. They haven't turned anybody over. Um, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I, I do wonder, you know, if you think about like, what's the, like, what's the, um, what's the scenario look like if Virginia goes up there and wins, right? To me, it's that quarterback play is maybe not quite as good as it was last week, but it's at least good. Um, you know, mistakes are cut down to a minimum. You're not having a lot of the false starts and illegal procedure sort of penalties. Right. Um, I think the offense can score. I, I genuinely think the offense can score. My problem is is expecting whether or not you can outscore that Maryland. I mean, I just think that they just have too many. They have too many weapons, um, and that's that's going to be hard. You know, I think for for the Cavaliers to sort of overcome. Um, now, let's get to predictions. In the preseason, Ferber, you had Virginia losing this game twenty four to seventeen to fall to one and two on the year. How are you feeling going into it?
1: Surprised I had it that close. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I have less confidence in UVA's defense stopping them than I do in UVA's... um, Like, I have less confidence in UVA's defense than their offense going into this game, which is something that I definitely wouldn't have considered as likely, you know, before the season started. And and I don't know. I, I, I think I would caution people to take what they saw on Saturday and think well, they figured it out and everything's going to be great now on offense. And they're going to score a bunch of points and they're going to have all these big plays. Um, I think Jamie's really good, but, um, I think there's still, a there's something somewhat of a talent gap there, maybe in their secondary versus most secondaries. UVA is going to play at the ACC level and, um, guys were, I, th- I think also they might've been a little taken aback that UVA went out and slung it around with a backup quarterback in his first career game or first career start. Um, I think, uh, I think this is a game where UVA is gonna kind of like make some plays on both sides of the ball, especially on offense. But they're gonna have a lot of like, they're gonna have a good drive, and then they're gonna have a bunch of three and outs, and then they'll have a good drive, and then a bunch of three and outs, and like, and a lot of that'll probably be just like you'll be in third and longs a lot if you can't win at the line of scrimmage. Um, and unfortunately, I kind of think that's how it plays out. Uh, I think Maryland. Ends up kind of doing their thing on offense. I think UVA is going to be really hard pressed to stop the run if they play like they have in the first two games. I mean, JMU and Tennessee, but rip them apart on the ground. Um, and Maryland has a really good running back. They have a good plan. They get the ball to him out in space, and Andy he can run between the tackles. Um, so I think it's going to be a tough one. I think, I think Maryland wins it like thirty-four to twenty, something like that.
0: Okay. Dave, in the preseason, you had Virginia losing this game 31 16 after a 41 15 win over JMU. How are you feeling now?
2: <laughs> like, I wish last week could have been true. Um, yeah, I mean, just to hit on it all. Um, you know, Virginia's got anything going for them. They're three and one in their last four at Maryland, with the one, the last loss in 2013 being by a single point. But you know, I don't think Chris Long or Nate Collins are walking through the door. The, um, Look, uh, it's, you know, the games are one in the trenches. Um and you got to give them and you got to give them the advantage there. Um even if our defensive line finally plays up to what we thought their potential was, I still like their their defensive line against our offensive line as a bigger mismatch than ours would be. Um I think, you know, if we can get Long and Ahern back and maybe even Clary back, that definitely helps shore up the defense, but I expect the defense to play better, um tackle better and but but I don't know how you like Maryland can do enough offensively where I don't think you can scheme to take away one thing. You gotta be pretty you gotta be pretty good against everything. Um so my hunch is as we see a year and you year out we will kind of play bend, don't break. So it's gonna come down to tackling. Um and the fact that, you know, Virginia's played two tough opponents and is coming off a short week and playing on the road, um, it, it's hard to believe they finally figure it out there. Um I do think it'll be a a close game, a couple scores. I like my score from the preseason 31, 16. Um, I think just, yeah, Justin said it like, I think the offense will, will show that, you know, they're finally getting the system down. Um, but if there's one problem with this system that I've kind of harped on, it's, you know, unless you have a quarterback make plays kind of like Calandri did off, off schedule, you've got to line up and beat the guys in front of you. Um, and doing that on a road against a team with more more talented trenches is probably a, a bridge too far for this team. So I'll keep it where it is. 31-16 I
0: like how you, uh, at the end, you were you didn't want to say their name and you just felt like you needed to. Mm. Um, I'm trying
2: to remember right. the name of their stadium. Was it SICU or CQ um, or something? Yeah,
1: I think, they're, I think Bird got canceled. So we well, yeah. had to change it.
0: Oh, one of those. Okay. Well, in the preseason, I had it uh, 28-20. Maryland. Um, I I still think Maryland wins. I I don't know if that's enough points for either team, so I'm going to change it to 31-23. I I don't think that Virginia. I don't think this is a game where Virginia can't win. And and I'm I'm not I'm not hedging here. I I genuinely think Maryland is the better team, and I think Maryland has more talent, and I think Maryland's going to win the game. If Virginia goes out and does a couple things, including. Uh, hitting some big plays, and as well, you know, the defense can kind of figure out some ways to um, be more in the mold of what I think Rosinski wants it to be, um, then I I could totally see UVA win this game. Uh, I don't think it needs to be fluky or whatever, whatever. I just think Virginia has to be sort of a better version of the team we've seen, um, especially defensively. I just don't think that what we've seen defensively – is is up to snuff. Special teams also, I think. Listen, Virginia needs every opportunity it can get. It needs every positive that it can get right now. And um, special teams has been kind of a, you know, a net negative overall. Um, you know, they've they've had some moments where you thought, okay, maybe because I mean, Sparks is obviously very good. But then they've had some uh, – there's just too many other moments where you're like, yeah, this is not, this is not improved. Um, and I think that's problematic. And this is exactly the kind of game where they need to be, you know, sound. Coverage units have to get guys on the ground. You need as many, you know, touchbacks as you can get, field position. Um, if you can make this thing a field position game, that's because you're doing something right. Uh, hopefully you've got other pieces of the operation that sort of pick you up. But, yeah, I, I just I, – I think it's tough right now for me to pick Virginia, um, especially because, like I said, I think Maryland just has more talent. So um, that's kind of the way the way it is, at least for now. And um, we'll see what the who's look like after they get past um, Maryland and start preparing for the Red Rocket and NC State. Um, anything else for the good of your for we wrap up this week, guys?
2: Happy homecoming to Coach Cox, as he. And that's back right. up to Maryland
1: I was kind of confused I wasn't really following that part of the press conference this week I was like what are they talking about they're gonna like <laughs> yeah. they're gonna be like talking to each other about like what he was almost making it seem like coach Cox was gonna be like you know if Maryland won like bragging or something <laughs> you know, like, it's <laughs> yeah, like, <what>? yeah. <laughs> it's like you were here now um obviously I don't think that's the case uh we did settle a prop last week. oh that's to right, we young. settled the prop. season went over 72 and a half yards. Shout out to Kobe Pace and Anthony Klander for making it happen.
0: Who had the over? Me and you. Oh, that's yeah. right.
1: Look at us. We had faith, Dave. We had, we had so faith, much faith. You had faith, Dave,
0: and you had none. <laughs> All right, let's uh Guilty. let's let's get the folks out of here. If for somebody out there who found the podcast through the website, thank you very much for giving us a listen. If you don't mind, look us up on Apple Podcasts. Spotify, Overcast, or wherever it is that you get your shows. And if you're so inclined to give us a rating or overview, we appreciate it. Now, if you're somebody who has not given us a look at the website yet, you can check us out at catscorner.com. Obviously, a lot of game week um, sort of stuff. Sprinkling in that basketball recruiting. Um, Houston has been killing it uh, and continuing to uh, stoke the fires uh, all summer and now fall long. I, I'm, I'm a big believer that fall starts on September the 1st, for the record. Um, I want to thank all of you out there for supporting the show. And of course, I want to thank Dave and Ferber for giving the graciously of their time. As always, I very much appreciate all they do. So, for David Spence and Justin Ferber, I'm Brian Franklin, publisher of CabbageCorn.com. Thanks for coming out. See you soon.